They call it writing on banana leaves. I think in New Guinea they call it that way. But if you could take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. As all of us know, this is a, a holiday weekend. Tomorrow's our nation's celebration of Independence Day, July 4th, 1776. There will be and have been speeches, uh, gatherings, picnics. Uh, purpose should all be, and not always are, but should be a call to remember, uh, to raise what we term patriotism. Now, patriotism has grown to be a crazy word that many people don't particularly enjoy, but it really is a word that's important because of its meaning. Patriotism means to love, have devotions, a sense of attach attachment to one's country, whatever country that is, having an expression of devotion, and to vigorous support of a level of pride and respect that puts you on par with the founders of the country who are seen as the original patriots who found a, founded a country. And I'm so thankful that we had godly men who founded our country with biblical principles in mind. And I'm, I'm not going to spend the time on that this morning, but we could spend hours talking about the motivation and the scriptures that were used and the fact when they instituted that congressional uh, meeting, made a president, uh, George Washington, and walked across uh, the street and went into a church and prayed, I think it's well over two hours, beseeching God for our nation. I'm thankful for the privilege to live here. I hope you are too. I'm very thankful for being born in this country. Some of you may have been born in another country. Well, this is the country of my birth. And I'm so thankful. I think of it every once in a while, what it would have been like if I would had been born in the mountains of Nepal or uh, in Hong Kong or Australia in the bush or somewhere. I would never know that as anything different. I just, you're just born, there you are. But I was fortunate, and many of you were too, to be born here. We have so many freedoms that have been hard fought and won through wars and through struggle within our nation. Many, many uh, blessings we have. I think I'm always surprised when people come from other countries. I experienced that through my uh, sister and her husband who've lived in Austria for the last 50 years. But they too, even though Austria is not a third world country, they, go, they went into some of our grocery stores and they said, I cannot believe the variety of things that you have. Uh, just the variety of things that we enjoy just in our grocery stores, although that is leaving a little bit. But you can have just uh, an aisle maybe 30 or 40 feet long with any type or variation of uh, salad dressings just to put on a piece of lettuce. I went, I told Judy yesterday, I said, I just need some baked beans. Let's, but, I, but she didn't have any. So I went to our local store and I said, I want some baked beans. I didn't say that. I said it to myself because as I'm standing there, I can't choose. I mean, you know, choices are important, right? If I get the wrong one, I'm going to be unhappy. But I'm looking at, I got barbecue. I've got one with bacon. I've got the one that's country style. I've got country, you know, barbecue style. I have old country. And, and that was just one variety. And then I go to the other variety. And it goes on and on. All of you have been there, but you try to get the one you really like. But how are you going to know until you go home and try it? And then that's the one I want. But then you won't remember the next time. What was that kind we got? I can't remember. So you just bring stuff home. 
But that's a blessing, people. I, uh, they, most countries have maybe one item, one can, three, four. I believe that we're going to be seeing a lot of that uh, deprivation of that or, and shelves being empty in the future of our country. But I am thankful for our country. And it's no mistake because we talk about it a lot here. Our country has a lot of problems. There's a lot of concerns. A lot of things that are going on that we're concerned about in the direction of our country. But how do we live? How do you and I live? How do I live in a world that has so much freedom and yet has removed God and his principles and morals away from our schools, our uh, institutions, our government, in so many places, and we're seeing that. But I thought of God's word concerning the people of Israel when they were led into captivity. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah writes a letter to people who have left home, have been taken by force into captivity over to Babylon, which is a very evil, evil nation. And I don't know if you're in a country that doesn't belong to you and you don't know about it, you're caught with their morals and their values, and it was a very decadent, evil place. <coughs> this certainly doesn't speak entirely to us, but I believe there's some principles that we need to grab hold of on this Independence Weekend. I, I, I want to go a lot of different directions this morning, but I want to hit this first. Jeremiah 29, beginning of verse 1, it says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother and the court officials and leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, skilled workers, artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisah, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, now this is a letter. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that I carried. Now this is God speaking. God said, I'm carrying you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not de decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When seven years are completed for Babylon, I will cause, come to you, fulfill my good promises to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. 
Many of us grab hold of a couple of verses out of here and make it our own that says, I know the plans for you. I have a future and a hope. And that is a wonderful thing. You can take promises like that and say, yes, Lord, I believe you have a future for me. This was very specific to the children of Israel. They were said, God said, you're going to be away for 70 years, but I will bring you back, which he did. He brought them back to their land, which he did. And um, he is even to this day prophetically fulfilling that, bringing them, Jewish people from around the world, back to the land. We, are, we participated in that. So in a sense, this does not speak to Americans living under Babylonian rule. But what it does is it gives some principles that I think that we could grab hold of to how we need to live in our country at this time in the condition it is and the struggles and all the kinds of things that we are facing as a people. Let me just pull some of these out. I've read it. You can think about and find them in the scripture. He comes back to verse, um, verse 5. Build houses and settle, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Mary have sons and so forth. Number one, I believe you've got to live where you live. He said, I want you to go there and live there. I want you to build houses there. I don't want you to just go and camp out and just moan about the fact that you're there, but I want you to live in that place. I want you to really live there, and to really live there means you need to build stuff. You need to work. You need to marry and have children and grandchildren. And the word that he says, you can increase, don't decrease. I want to guard all of us from looking at the days that we live and begin to decrease, 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 and just get that hang on till, we're, till the end mentality. God's called his people to be increasing and walking in his blessings. I want all of you to walk in the blessing of God, but there's a way to do that in the midst of this time, and I'll talk about that in a moment. The second thing he said, I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city where you go. Don't be a part of tearing it down. Now, I can tear it down easily. I know how to do that. I can come against my country, and, and I do, and I have. But I wonder if that's really God's plan for God's people to just tear it down brick by brick and just continue to look at how bad it is. We need to be aware of that. But he said, seek its peace. Seek its prosperity. Be one of those that are praying, for, well, because that's number three, Pray to the Lord for it. Be an intercessor for our country and our leaders. The fourth item, it says, don't let the prophets, diviners, deceive you. I'll just say this about it. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you watch. Be careful how that stuff comes in there. Be careful. That's a principle I think we need to grab hold of. Be careful. Watch out. And I'll come to something about that in a few moments. But number five, he said, trust in my promise to care for you. He said, when you get here, I have plans for you. Trust in me because I've got purpose for you, church. I have purpose for these people. God says, I have purpose for you. Trust in me. How do I trust? I pray. I call on his name. I listen to what he says. I seek the Lord. It says, when you seek for me with all your heart, church, it's time we seek the Lord with all our hearts. Same principles apply. Seek for me with all your heart, and I'll take care of you. Certainly this was to these people for 70 years, but God says, do it this way. Now, I could leave this scripture alone. And you say, okay, that's just that, but let's go to the New Testament. Go to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 
chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I think I read part of this last week as well, but listen, it's repeated. I urge then, verse 1, 1 Timothy 2, 1, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So that you can have a, a, a peaceful life. Pray for the peace so that peace can be what we live in. Jeremiah 29, 7, pray that if it prospers, you too will prosper. You'll live in peace. Babylon was a wicked nation, full of false gods, all kinds of perversions. And the question always gets when I read the Bible, said, how do I apply that? And here it says, pray for those. How do I live in the world? How did, in 1 Corinthians, we're going to go there in a moment, but they said, how do you live in a culture that's evil and wicked and full of sexual perversions and greed and so forth? How do I stay pure? How do I walk with God and be the light in the world that I live in, that God has called us? An article came across my desk this week from Gary Wilkerson. He's the son of David Wilkerson fame. And it was right in line with what I was thinking about and meditating for this morning. But he made some couple of connect connections to help us. Go to the book of Psalms, the collection of Psalms. Now look at Psalm 1 and 2. Psalm 1 and 2. There's a connection between how a person walks in the midst of struggle, in the midst of hard times, in the midst of evil, and also how God views the global picture of the nations. Psalm 1 and 2 really serve as an introduction to the whole collection of songs, the whole collection of the psalms that, that we read, the 150 of them. Psalm 1 begins to speak to the individual. Blessed is the man, and we'll go there. But chapter 2 says this, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Why do the nations rage? They go against God. They go against his word. They go against everything that God is about, and that's happening. I can't leave verse 4 because this gives me good perspective. He who sits in the heavens laughs about it. He said, go ahead. <laughs> do what you're going to do. And the Lord rebukes them, and God's going to take care of all this. Entire nations and cultures, and ours is included, where it says, I don't need the Bible. I don't need God. I don't need all of this stuff. I don't want anything that's going to restrain what I want to do. I want to forget all these old things. All you people that believe the Bible is accurate need to wake up and come into the 21st century because that was, that was old stuff. That was back 100 years ago. That was what they did. We are modern. We are new. We've got love figured out. We've got everything going on, and we want you to give up this book. I want you to know that what we saw with Lyle and Stacy is the word of God is still going around the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is still the only hope for humanity. 
It's the only hope for people. God so loved what? The world that he gave his only begotten son. That message is still the same as it has been for thousands and thousands of years. It is still the word of God. But we live in a time when nations are rising up and say, we don't want the Bible. We don't want what you have. We're, we live in a Babylonian-style country. We don't want your God. Your God is whatever. We got a gods of our own. People don't want the Bible. If you bring out your Bible, they say, I don't want that stuff. Get that away from me. Why? Because I want to do what I want to do. But someone gives blessing and tells us, how do I deal with the chaos? How do I deal with the sin around me, the darkness? How am I to serve? How am I even going to survive, let alone serve, much less grow in God? But Psalm 1 begins with this word. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the person. If we just stop there, it seems that the writer, the Holy Spirit-inspired book, the writer says, there's blessing. There's blessing available for that person, even in perilous times. How? He'll give us three things to avoid, three things to watch out for, three things that, that we can stay away from and don't participate in. It's a wisdom word to us. I, I just sort of chuckle sometimes when people say, well, the Bible, the Old Testament, I'll read it because it's full of the laws and stuff. The, the Hebrews say, the you know, Jewish people, writers say there are 613 commands given in the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament, Old Covenant. I only stay in the New Testament. Well, let me tell you, there's about 1,300 commands in the New Testament. Count them. Be holy as I'm holy. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Don't worry about tomorrow. We could go on and on. There's commands given in the New Testament, by the way, that God says, I want you to live and walk in this. But there are three things that are wisdom words for us. Don't treat them like they're commands that, oh, there's another law I have to do. This is what I want me to do. These are wisdom. Chapter, chapter 1, I mean, verse 1, rather. Blessed are one, here it is, very quickly, three things. Blessed is one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. It will go on. But those three things. In other words, we've got to put on some spiritual blinders to, to stay focused on the Lord, to maintain purity in our mind and our hearts, spiritual discipline. And these three things describe a slow progression away from God into uh, more and more and more evil and wickedness. Last week I talked about neglect. What happens when we neglect, neglect something? It, it, uh, it disintegrates, it deteriorates, it goes away. These are three things that will happen if you don't stay focused on the word of God. Because verse 2 says you're going to delight in the Lord. But if you do these first three things, you're going to slip away. You see, it starts by walking by something evil who does not walk. He said, don't walk in step with the wicked. Walking close to it. Just walking by it. I think I'll just walk here. This is a pretty good place. Oh, it's interesting. It's, it's sort of, wow, I can't keep my eyes off of it. And it's the walking part that it begins. Don't walk in step with the world system. And that's a subtle thing, people. 
You can find your mind thinking something, and if someone challenges you, you say, well, wait a minute, I don't believe that. But you begin to talk like it because you've walked with it. You're walking, you said, nor stand, stopping and standing there to observe it. That's a, that's a pattern of sin. It's a slow thing. It's, it starts with a little walk. Let's go for a walk. In my mind, in my behavior, it's, it's just a little walk. It's not going to hurt anybody. We're just going for a walk. But when you stop and you look at it, you observe it, you pay attention to it. My brother and his wife live in Colorado Springs, and they walk constantly in the Garden of the Gods, a big national park there. And my, um, my sister, our sister-in-law, she is a, a wonderful photographer. Some of her pictures have gone on the, on the Springs magazine and stuff. I, I tell her, make postcards, you'll make a million. Oh, I don't want to take the effort, but her pictures are incredible. He showed me a picture the other day, and as you're looking at the picture, it just has a, a group of people walking down the path in the mountains in the background. But he said, look close. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I'm just seeing people. I don't see anything. He said, look, go lift your eyes now. And way up, I wish I put, could put, the, put it up on the board, but way up, there's this little dot. And when you look closer, there's a guy standing on the mountain up there. It's just, it's hidden up there. And he said, look at the guy. He's, he's up there. And sure enough, when you blow it up and you get close, there's a guy there. How did you see that? Because they observed it. You see the intricacy of the thing. You see how it happens. You see somebody's hiking today up there. We're down here. This picture's big. That little guy way up there. It's called the observation of us. When we get involved with the world around us and we stop to say, I want to look at it closer. I want to look at it closer. I get enticed by the picture. I get enticed by the feelings. I get enticed by the things that I'm observing and looking. This is where it begins to happen. And finally, he said, or sit in the company of mockers that you sit down and say, I'm here and I'm going to participate. Now, he said, well, I'll never do that. 1 Corinthians 10, I think it says, be careful. You, those who think they stand, be careful lest they fall. God has given us a way of escape of the temptation so we can bear. There's, listen, these are days. Here it is on an Independence Day weekend. I'm celebrating our country, I understand. But these are tragic days, and yet they're needed revelation days as well so that we can see the revelation of sin and greed and apostasy in God's church that's going on, so-called church. It's almost, uh, it's almost weekly that I've been seeing things for the last year or two that have come out in, um, in, in websites that I see that are just tracking what the church is doing, blessings and the bad stuff they're doing about people meeting the Lord and their testimony, but it also talks about failures of things. And almost weekly, there's record of a pastor, pastoral failure of, of a sexual nature where a pastor has fallen into sexual sin. A church in Canada, the, the, the pastor was caught and arrested for his sexual behavior, and they found out 38 other incidents have happened in the church. 38. How does this happen? There is, there's people who, another one, 
people who steal stuff in the church. Anywhere from the secretary took 10000 to the to the finance guy took off 450000 or half a million dollars away, stolen from the charitable organization, presenting themselves as Christians, presenting themselves, we're a godly people, we're aligning ourselves with God. No, you're aligning yourselves up with the walking with evil, standing and looking at it, and sitting down and participating and grabbing hold of it. And then, not only that, and I've already referred to the denial of the written Holy Spirit, God-inspired Word of God. They say, we don't want to happen. It happens, denominations, you can read about it almost every other day. Another denomination says, we are going to uh, go against Israel, become anti-Semitic, go against the Word of God concerning gender and marriage and and, and life in the Word of God. They're doing it all the time. It is a, a terrible, stirring example of a failure of avoiding the world around us. It happens even the smallest level to the dramatic, well-known people. It is, a, it, is, it, it is a serious time that we live in. Judy and I said this to each other the other day. Having seen another instance of revelation. Believe me, let me just tell you something. This is God's doing in his church. He said, I'm going to straighten my church out. I want a church that's pure. I want believers that are going to stand for righteousness and holiness and love with the love of God. It isn't the devil doing all this stuff. God's saying, I'm going to pull it back so church, you can become all that I called you to be and died for you to become. A people who delight themselves in the word of God. I'm not about Satan's having a field day because we help him, okay? But we're sitting there singing. I said, both of us said almost the same time. We saw something. I said, why would any non-believer want what we're offering? What are we offering the world? Cranky people, grumpy people, mouthy people, don't go to work kind of people, people who say, Oh, I'm so righteous. And live like the devil. Church, this is hitting to me. It's hitting to us as a congregation. We're not a big group of people. We're a small little button on the whole pattern of God's plan. But we're us. And God's called us to stand for righteousness. And even in our little worlds where we live in. Why? Because God wants to bless he wants us to be useful. He wants us to be fruitful. Because look what happens. Go down to verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his word, his instructions. And who meditates on, the law, on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season whose leaf will not, does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. There's something that happens when I delight in the Lord. When I stay near to him, that I meditate. Meditate is a, is a big word. It's passionate, intense, digging in endeavor. It's, we're not taking God's word seriously. We've, it's fluffy. It's whatever. We take it lightly. Now I'm going to say something. I please, please, nobody... How can I say it? Don't be offended. This is like somebody said, oh, you're going to really laugh at this one. And then you, they tell the joke and you say, I'm not laughing. But they preface it. I'm going to say, don't be offended, but I know some of you are going to be offended. 
I don't mean to do that. But earlier this morning, I'm thinking about the idea that we treat this Bible like it's nothing but fluff. I write a lot in my Bible. I mark it. I believe in journaling the scripture. But it hit me this morning that what we're being sold, church, are journaling Bibles that you can draw flowers on every other page. That you can just make it pretty. Use calligraphy to write the scriptures out. Now, please understand, I am not against artwork. I'm not against calligraphy. My granddaughter, I, I, I understand the artistic part of us. But church, if you step back and look, can you take that word seriously if it's got flowers all the way through it? When God says, be holy as I'm holy. When he said, don't live like that. There's sin. There's judgment coming. There's heaven and hell issues. But, oh, yeah, we're going to put flowers on it. Now, if anybody has a flower Bible in here, please, I, I, I want you to keep having it. Please do the flowers. It's okay with me. I'm just making the point that whether you do that or not, you treat this book like, well, I'll pick it up next week. Throw it over there. Oh, honey, anybody see my Bible? I got to take it to church. My grandkids do that. They come on Wednesday nights. They said, oh, we forgot our Bible Mr. Keith and Miss Vicky are going to get after us. Where's our Bible? And they scramble, they find our Bible. Now they're, you know, 10 years old. But how many of us treasure, treasure what God says and meditate in day and night? He said, you will be fruitful. You'll be able to study it. You'll be able to get into it. The seriousness of God's word. That person he said, blessed is that person who living in the midst of a world that's got evil and wickedness and mockers and this kind of stuff is going to live with righteousness. Live being fruitful, not going to wither, not going to be drawn away. And this time God wants us to be fruitful. He's looking for us to produce the fruit of the Spirit to make a difference in our world, to give the gospel where we have opportunities and even where we don't, give it. We might live in tumultuous, perilous times, as the scripture says, but we can expect God to work in us. We can expect him to bring about good fruit. I have one final thought. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. I mentioned that a moment ago. And he's writing to them to say, uh, you're living in a very evil place. Corinth was on the crossroads of trade, a, a coastal city. It had every imaginable sin and, and uh, perversion. In fact, he writes to them about it in this letter, how to stay strong in that. But he says this, 1 Corinthians 3. Brothers and sisters, I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I give you milk, not solid food, for you're not yet ready for it. And here you're still not ready. You're still worldly. 
For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you're not wor- are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? But for when one says, I follow Paul, and another said, I follow Apollos, Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigns to each his task. He says, so what's going on? And he is going to refer, and we're not going to hit these, but there's three pictures that he uses. And the first one I'm drawing out of because Psalm 1 said he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Verse 7, and I'll go back and read it, but he's, or I'm sorry, verse 9 says, you are God's field. Okay, that's a field. God's building. Then he will talk about a building. Down to verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Paul writes to this church and he said, you've got to understand three things, three different applications or three different ways I'm going to explain what God wants to do with you. The first thing is you're God's field, you're God's building, and you're his temple. The psalmist said you're going to be a tree. Paul writes, you're God's field. In which the word is planted. Go back up now as I continue to read at verse 6. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God is making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants, the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. Here's what I want to finish with. You've got to grab hold of the truth that you are his. If you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus, you belong to him. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. You belong to him. You're his garden to plant his word into you. He's planting his word. We could go to the parables of Jesus about the seed going into the ground. The second part that you need to understand is seed will be planted. The word will be planted. Seed is useless and powerless until it's in the ground. You can have bags and bags of seed up in the barn, but until that gets into the ground, it just sits there. God says, my word is going to be planted in you. Paul said, I'm planting that scriptural word, the scripture into you. But it must be watered. And here's the promise. Blessed is the one. There's blessing for us. Because God makes his word grow in us and fruit will be the results. Time is short. Um, by that I mean uh, in so many ways we could look around and see it happening. Things are speeding up. But growth is still part that we have to do. We need to grow. Sometimes that's fast, sometimes that's slow, but we still need to grow in the Lord. Even though the time is short. And Daniel prophesied that knowledge, Daniel 12, 4, knowledge shall be increased. I heard this statement. I haven't been able to verify it, but I think it's accurate in what I understand. That in the centuries preceding our own change in technology and growth and things that people were working, it took 500 years for change to be realized. How things were made, how things were processed, from wheels to carts and all those 500 years. Every 500 years, they can track and see a major uh, change in our country and how things are the world and how things. For our grandparents, 
they said it was about a hundred year change. So from this to this a hundred years, you could see things changing and technology and industrial things began to place. But for us as baby boomers, they said everything is changing every 20 years. It's taken 20 years for things. I, I was just so amazed that we went from the 1900 when Wright brothers to jet airplanes and things in World War II 40 years. Things are passing very quickly. And the gentleman who said this that I heard said today, it's 12 hours. Now what's that about? Why are things progressing so quickly? And we'll say it now. Because you, you can find it. People don't want to have a 12-year-old. They, they think they're 25. They're trying to teach our babies things that they shouldn't even know about until they're way up in their teen years or whatever. Things are happening fast. It's because of the prophetic word that times are escalating. Why? Because God is bringing about his purpose and that speeding up of things is bringing about his end time purpose when his son is coming back. Judgment is coming. Things are happening. Jesus will come. But we need to stop. We need to grow up. We have to exercise our spiritual muscles, walk in God's wisdom because there is blessing for you. There's blessing for this church. There's blessing for me. If we walk and not in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't uh, stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scornful. But our delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, we're going to meditate day and night. And we're going to be like a tree that's planted by rivers of water. That you can live and survive and walk in grace and walk in God in this our church. Be his field. Be a tree. Let it happen in you. Can we stand before the Lord worship team come. I was thinking about the speeding up of time and say, how can I give you 100 hours worth of teaching in 35 minutes? I hope you drank fast at the fire hydrant. Lord, help us today. Holy Spirit, take the points of this message, apply it to my heart, apply it to our hearts, to every man in this house, every woman in this house planet to every young person, old person, that we might be walking blessing. So Lord, we give your hearts. We, we give you our lives that you can have your way in us. And Lord, we take this moment and pray for our country. We pray for our president. We pray for our Congress. We pray for our leaders around us. Why, Lord? Because you told us to pray for those in authority over us. I pray that the Holy Spirit might convict their hearts of sin, righteousness, and judgment that they might have and hear the voice of God coming to them, that our nation would be able to be peaceful and walk in prosperity and righteousness, not by things man has done, but according to your purpose. And Lord, may the gospel go out to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, Lord. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Jesus, come, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.